Hear the word of the Lord from John 1, 6 through 13. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning again. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and it's really good to see you here this morning. After the year we've had, it feels really good to worship God with you on, on Easter Sunday morning. And so we're really thankful that um, we get to do that. There's people around the world that are still in lockdown and they're still unable to worship God together. And so it is a joy that we can gather together this morning. And uh, we just are really appreciative of that. Now, if you are here for the first time, we are really glad that you decided to join us this morning. We are three weeks into a new sermon series that we're calling Fundamentals. And we're simply studying the fundamentals of our church. Now, <clears throat> one of the reasons we're doing this is because all of us bring some baggage in here with us. We all have some working definition of what Christianity is all about and what the church is or should be all about. So if I ask you, what is the church and, and what's the purpose of the church or what's the church all about? I'm, I might get a hundred different answers. A few years ago, I was having a conversation with a young woman and she was telling me about a book that she was reading and it was written by a Buddhist and co-authored by a Benedictine monk. She told me that what the authors were saying and what she believed was that all of the world religions were basically teaching the same thing. She knew that I was a pastor, so she asked me what I thought about it. I told her philosophically that she was correct, except for Christianity. I said, Christianity is not like at any other religion. It's completely unique. Now she stopped what she was doing and she said, what, what do you mean by that? I said, every other religion in the world, and I'm not speaking hyperbolically when I say that. Every other religion in the world <clears throat> is about man doing things to earn their way to heaven or into the favor of the gods. And I said that, and she said, yeah. <clears throat> and she was assuming, and so is Christianity. And I said, no, Christianity is nothing like that. It's actually the exact opposite. She's like, go on. <laughs> Christianity is absolutely unique in all of the religions of the world. Only in Christianity do you have God becoming man, living the perfect life that every human fails to live, and then dying a death that every human being deserves because of their sins in order to earn our way back into a relationship with himself by giving his own 
righteousness to us. Now, I know there's a lot in that statement. I'm going to unpack it in this sermon this morning. But that is the gospel in a nutshell. Gospel means good news. And in that statement right there, we see something unique, again, about Christianity. It's good news. News is an announcement that something has happened. There's a difference between news and a commercial, right? A commercial is trying to convince you to buy something, convince you to do something. News is this happened today, right? News is not advice about something you should or should not do. See, every other religion in the world is primarily advice. It's advice about how you can become a better person or become more enlightened, how you can get the gods to bless you. Christianity is not like that. Christianity is good news. It's good news about what God has already done to save us from our sins, to bring us back into a relationship with him. The gospel is news saying God has already done everything necessary in the person and work of his son Jesus to forgive us of our many sins and to adopt us into his forever family. This news is so good that the Bible say, the Bible says angels long to look into it. Fascinating. Why is that? Well, one reason is because if you didn't know this, before mankind sinned, angels sinned. And when angels sinned, they got cast out of the garden, they got cursed, and there was no offer of redemption for the angels. It's where Satan and fallen angels come from, demons come from, evil spirits come from. There was no offer of hope, no offer of reconciliation, no offer of redemption. And so when the angels who have never seen hear what God has done for sinful human beings, they go, whoa, what is this good news? What is this gospel? And they long to look into it. They step back and stare at the gospel in awe because of the kindness and graciousness of God. They saw God as holy and righteous and judicial before, but now in the redemption of man and what God was willing to do for man, they see him as kind and gracious and forgiving, and compassionate. That God would stoop so low to put on flesh and enter his creation and dwell among us, to allow human beings, his own people, to reject him and crucify him so that he could adopt us as his own children. There isn't another religion in the world that makes claims like that. God has earned our salvation completely separate from anything that we could ever do. Now, good advice is about getting people to become better people, but good news is the announcement of what God has done in human history to rescue us from our sins. The question, though, remains, is this true? Well, that's a cool story, man. Cool story. Cool claim. Is it true? Well, I want you to open up your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is a unique section in all of the scriptures. First off, it's written by 
what we now know, we call the Apostle Paul, but originally when you see him in the scriptures, his name was Saul of Tarsus. And Saul was one of Jesus's most famous antagonists, okay? He hated Jesus. Saul was a Jew. He, he was practicing the Jewish way of faith, right? Uh, following from the Old Testament, he heard the claims of Jesus. Jesus was claiming to be the son of God. And then Jesus, he was, Saul was completely behind the crucifixion of Jesus. And then after Jesus was crucified, Saul was even persecuting other Christians, having them thrown in jail. He was even present holding the cloaks of the men who stoned Stephen to death. So Saul was a complete enemy of Christ, of Jesus, and of Christianity, all right? But then... <laughs> The reality of the gospel showed up to Saul. And by the reality of the gospel, I mean Jesus resurrected, shows up and goes, oh, stop persecuting me. And Paul's like, who, who are you? And he's like, Jesus. Paul's like, I've made some big mistakes here. <laughs> right? Now, it took a resurrection to convert Saul of Tarsus. It took a resurrection. And again, a resurrection is not a resuscitation. We hear a lot about resuscitations. People are died, we, they come back to life, or by a miracle, they come back to life. That's a resuscitation. They come back to die again. Jesus' resurrection, he came to life never to die again. He instituted what we call new creation, something totally different, unique, and distinct. Something akin to the beginning of the universe. When God said, let there be light, and that was a unique moment in the history of the world. There wasn't anything, and now there is something. The same thing essentially happened in the new creation when Jesus Christ was resurrected. Something completely unique happened in the universe. He swallowed up death, never to die again. Now, Jesus, this Jesus shows up to Saul Boom, he gets knocked off his horse. He gets converted immediately. He's like, what do you want me to do? You're my apostle now. You're my spokesman. You're gonna go preach the gospel. Switches teams like this. Well, Saul writes 1 Corinthians 15 here. It's one of the earliest pieces of scripture that we have. And it's really just about what happened, listen, in history, okay? Let's read it together. 1 Corinthians 15, one through eight. Now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel, there it is, the good news, I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures." that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Now he's making historical claims here. And that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the 12, that's the other apostles. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. Why would he say that? You can go verify this evidence. Here's the news. Go verify it. There's over 500 people out there in your community that you can go and talk to who saw the resurrected Jesus Christ. Though some have fallen asleep, though some have died, that's what he means there. Then he appeared to James. Who's that? The brother of Jesus. 
Jesus shows up and convinces his own brother that he's the son of God. James was not a believer before then. Then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of all the apostles. Paul here is telling the news. Here's what happens. Here's why I'm sharing the gospel with you. The resurrected Jesus showed up to me. I didn't believe before. I do believe now. I was an enemy. Now I am on his team, right? Verifiable news. Hey, there's people out there that saw him. You can go talk to him right now, okay? This was not a myth made up much later. The people who saw the resurrected Jesus were living and walking among them where they could go and verify that evidence. Now listen, this is why we're here this morning. We're not here because the Bible gives us some spiritual foo-foo message how we can feel better about ourselves and go to heaven when we die. We are here because the Son of God put on flesh and then beat death. No human in history with all of our scientific and technological advancement, no one can beat death. We can, we can extend it a few years, right? I'm thankful for that. Thankful for the advancement that it lets us live a little bit longer. But guess what? We all know death is coming. Well, not for Jesus Christ. He died and then he was resurrected to new life. Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. He came to this earth, lived a perfect life, and then died a substitutionary death in our place for our sins. And he was resurrected to never die again. His resurrection was proof that he was who he says he was. And it was also proof that, guess what? The offering he made on our behalf was accepted by God. Our sins have been forgiven. God's wrath against sin and evil has been satisfied. When we place our faith in Jesus, Martin Luther says, said, a divine exchange takes place. We give him our sin and he gives us his righteousness. Paul later writes in Romans 1, 17 through 18, for I am not ashamed of the power of the gospel. Hold on, why would he say I'm not ashamed of it? Because this is why. Preaching that someone was dead and then came back to life and then ascended into heaven to never got die again and that person's at the control room of the universe right now, guess what? That sounds crazy. It should sound crazy. Christianity should sound crazy to you. The problem is, it's true. I meet people all the time that think it's, ah, it's just crazy. We live in a crazy world. I was talking to somebody the other day. Just think about, like, you're talking to your kids about the animal kingdom and all the stuff that's going on that, you know, what, what happens to a butterfly to make it a butterfly? This little worm spins its own little cocoon, becomes jello. Becomes jello. I mean, not edible jello, but goo becomes goo. Then somehow becomes a butterfly and fights its way out of there and is one of the most beautiful creatures of God's creation. Hmm. That sounds almost, not it isn't, almost like a resurrection to me. I almost like one. We live in a world like that. So this news of Christianity, it is far-fetched. It does sound crazy, but it is true. And this is why, if it wasn't true, Paul 
would not have become a Christian. If it wasn't true, Christianity would not have taken over the Roman Empire. If it wasn't true, we wouldn't be here today. So Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, even though it's crazy sounding news. Why? For it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and then to the Greek. For in it or in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So when we put our faith in Christ, Christ puts his righteousness on us. So even though we are sinful, even though we've done things that grieve the heart of God, we've walked away from him at times, we've hurt people made in his image, we attempt to live our lives by our own rules without much thought to him. In spite of all of that, God has given us the opportunity to be forgiven. But guess what? That's not even the best part of the gospel. The gospel is like a multifaceted diamond that you just keep turning it and you can see new beauty and new things from different perspectives. And the scripture that our reader read for us this morning shows us another aspect of the gospel that might even be greater than just getting our sins forgiven. Let's read it again from John chapter one, verses nine through 13. John writes this, the true light, speaking of Jesus, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him. So this is the idea that Jesus Christ is the author of all life. He wrote the story and yet he entered into his own story. Okay, let's keep reading. The world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. What is that? That's his own people. The Jewish people didn't recognize him as the Messiah, as the Christ, and they rejected him and ultimately crucified him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But here we go, look at this. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, that's what it means to receive him, to believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. So he's not talking about a human birth here, but of God. He's talking about being born again, spiritually speaking. John tells us those who believe in Jesus, who receive him, are born again, but this time, they're not just born into an earthly family, they're born into God's forever family, the church. Now, I don't want you to miss the significance of this. One of the things that makes the gospel such good news, it isn't just that we get our, for, our sins forgiven. That's a, that's a judicial idea. That's God as the great judge over all human affairs. He wipes our slate clean and he forgives us of our sin by paying our own debt. That's all good. But the gospel goes farther God isn't just our judge. In the gospel, God becomes our loving, compassionate father who gives grace to his children. He graciously adopts us 
into his family. And if you know anything about adoption, it costs a lot for the families. There's a cost to be paid. And God paid that cost himself, a great cost, the cost of his own son. God paid that price to adopt us into his family. Theologian J.I. Packer writes in his book, Knowing God, quote, in adoption, God takes us into his family and fellowship and establishes us as his children and heirs. Closeness, affection, and generosity are at the heart of the relationship. To be right with God the judge is a great thing, but to be loved and cared for by God the Father is even greater. Now, this good news and this aspect of the gospel does at least two things for us. One, it drastically changes our heart towards God by giving us a new identity. See, we all struggle with identity issues. Who am I? What am I here for? How do I prove myself? How do I know I'm good enough? How do I make my way in the world? All of these are identity issues. We want to prove ourselves. We aren't settled in who we are. We aren't comfortable in our own skin. And we think that we must go out there in the world and earn our acceptance with God and earn our acceptance with other people. Several years ago, Madonna summed this up perfectly in an article in Vanity Fair. She writes about her incessant need to create an identity for herself. Here's what she says. She said this, I have an iron will. And all of my will has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. She says, I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being. And then I get to another stage and I think I'm mediocre and uninteresting. Again and again, she says, my drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre. And that's always pushing me, pushing me, pushing me. Because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove I'm somebody. She said, my struggle has never ended and it probably never will. See, she writes an album, she does a song, she creates some video, she gets on the news, everybody talks about her, she feels special, she feels like she's doing something right, she's unique. And then the crowd silently goes silent and some, they start paying attention to somebody else. And she feels this need She's not comfortable in her own skin. I've got to do something else. I've got to make another song, another album, another post, another, another spread, whatever it is. I've got to do something to prove that I'm still somebody. She's still doing this and she's like in her 60s, 70s. I don't even know how old she is. You can't tell, whatever it is. She's like 70% cyborg. Why? That's what, it, that's what it means to not have an identity to be out there constantly trying to create it, trying to maintain it, trying to keep it up. Do you ever feel like that? More money. I just need a little bit more money. I just need that promotion. Once I get those kids, once I get that spouse, then I'll have an identity. Then I'll know who I am. Once I land that career, once I get that house, once I get that degree, then I know I'm gonna be somebody. Well, the good news of the gospel is that when you come to Christ, you have been given, given, 
given by grace a new identity through adoption into the family of God. You've been given a new name. You are now in the family. You didn't earn your way in it. This is who you are now. You are different. All by grace. You didn't earn it. And guess what? Because you didn't earn it, you can't lose it. God adopted you because he is love. And when you awaken to that reality, it changes your heart towards God. I remember when I was awakened to that idea. I had already been a Christian, actually. I'd been a Christian for like 10 years. I'd been a pastor for some time. But my identity was still kind of, I'm, I'm still trying to build it, still trying to discover it, still trying to earn it. And a friend of mine kind of just labeled it because I grew up as a wrestler and wrestlers, we are head cases, okay? Listen, we have to walk out in front of a lot of people in spandex all the time, okay? And we have to prove our worth in front of a lot of people, right? We have issues, okay? But it's just you. There's no teammates, right? It's just you out there. And it's, guess what? Your hard work shows up on the mat every time. You either outworked your opponent or you didn't. And that mentality kind of, seeped into my soul. And so every day of my life, I was trying to work hard to prove myself, work hard to earn it, outwork that other guy. And a friend of mine finally said, man, that's the wrestler in you. And I think God just wants to kind of kill that and redeem it, resurrect it. What would it look like for you, Justin, to pray and bring the wrestler to God? I said, I don't know. So let's do it together. I said, okay, fine. We prayed. And in my mind's eye, I saw myself as the wrestler walking towards the cross. And when I saw Jesus hanging there naked, shame was brought to my own heart. He's hanging there in weakness. And I was repulsed by weakness. And I kind of looked away from the cross. And that brought me to tears because I was ashamed of the gospel in that moment. I was ashamed of the weakness of the cross, that I thought the gospel was something that made me stronger and made me greater. When in reality, if I get the gospel, I should realize that I'm weaker and weaker and weaker and weaker. And in that moment, he said, well, what did you think Jesus would say to you? And I, he, Jesus, literally, I'm listening to him in my mind's eye. And Jesus says, you're my loved and forgiven son. My loved and forgiven son. And me, I was like, yeah, yeah, I know that. I've been preaching that for a decade. And then Jesus, this quick in my mind's eye said, oh, no, no. When you're that, nothing else matters. When you know in your soul that you are loved and forgiven by Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, the resurrected one, nobody else's opinion matters of you anymore. And it settles you. How often do you meditate on that? You're not just forgiven. You are loved and forgiven and adopted into the family of God. God chose you and through that gives you a new identity that can never be lost, can never be earned, and it can never be lost. When that penny drops, you become settled and satisfied and it is one of the best feelings in the world. So the first thing this doctrine of adoption or being adopted into the family of God does for us is it gives us a new identity, which is good news. And the second thing it does for us is it 
unites us with other brothers and sisters in the church who are learning how to live like a new gospel family. See, when people think of the church, most of the time they think of a building. The church is not a place, it's a people. It's a family where you can be known and loved. A family of born again believers, born again, not by blood, not by the will of man, but by the will of God. It's also a family where you can come in and you learn about yourself and you learn how to love others. It's a family that will help you walk with Jesus and grow up into godliness. Now, there's obviously a lot of people here this morning and it's hard to be known in a gathering like this. This is a family reunion of sorts. It's a large event. But the main place where you learn how to live like a gospel family is in what we call missional communities. Smaller groups of people that meet throughout the week in different homes to live life like Jesus did as a small gospel family. We've got them spread over all the quad cities. In MC, we learn what it looks like and feels like to live as a part of God's family, God's church. We do what Jesus did with his disciples. We eat together. We pray together. We open up our heart and our lives to one another. We care for one another and meet each other's needs. We serve one another. We do all of this because Jesus has made us family. So much so that one day he was ministering and people came to Jesus and said, Jesus, your brother and sisters and mom, they're outside. And Jesus said, Who are my, who's my mother? Who's my brother? Who's my sisters? Those that do the will of, these right here in my circle, those who do the will of the Father, they're my brothers and my sisters. What's he saying? He's made us a new family. The church is meant to be a family. And we do all of this, not just for selfish reasons, not just for ourselves. We do it because we want other people to join us. If you're here today and you're not a part of a community like this, we want to invite you into it because it's good news. And it's, it's where God reforms us into his image in a sense. We've been deformed in our own families and wounded and scarred. And God reforms us inside of his church, inside of his forever family. Christianity was never meant to be an individual sport. It's a team sport. You need other team members to do it right. And Jesus' team is the church. If you want to be on Jesus' team, you need to be a part of his church. But I get it. See, many people today, I think maybe more so than any time in human history, at least that I'm aware of, people are really afraid of being known. They're really afraid of being known and involved, and so they do their best to keep their arms, the people at arm's distance. Because, hey, in our culture right now, if you find out something dark about me, I might get canceled. I might lose my job. I might lose my friendship. People might reject me. People are so afraid of being judged or being hurt. They think if once people really know me and what I'm like, they won't like me anymore. They won't accept me. And so people walk around with this immense pressure. They want to be known and they want to be loved, but they don't think that 
that will actually happen because how they feel about themselves on the inside. And so they kind of keep people at a distance and there's just a lot of anxiety in the air. Now, that isn't the way God wants us to live. I want to illustrate it in a kind of a simple way. I want you to think of two glasses of water, okay? This glass is full of crystal clear, ice cold water. This one looks more like tea, okay? This is dirty water. Somebody comes along, you're carrying these glasses. Somebody comes along. Let's just say you've got one of these glasses. You, you got, you're holding the, the, the glass of clear water. Some, somebody comes along and bumps you. What happens? Simple illustration, right? The clear water spills out. If you're carrying the dirty water, somebody bumps you, guess what? The dirty water pours out. Most of us are afraid to be bumped. We're afraid of what's gonna come out. And so what we have to do is kind of isolate ourselves from other human beings so we don't explode, so we don't spill out, so people don't see our junk. It's a simple illustration, right? Jesus says that we are like those cups. He says, out of the heart come all of our evil words and actions. Jesus saying what's inside of us naturally is going to come out of us when we get bumped, in a sense, by other human beings. Now, this is why so many people try to avoid the church. They live their whole life trying not to be bumped. They're so afraid that someone is going to know that they are still sinful, and guess what? That they don't have it all together. Do you ever, listen, sometimes it's funny because we do a lot of meals around here. We bring meals to our, our church family. Sometimes you bring a meal to somebody and you go, and, and they're like blocking the door. They're like, block, no, no, don't come in. Don't come in. Don't come in. You just had a baby. We know the house is a mess. We get it. You just had a baby. Guess what? Everybody else's house is a mess too. You don't got to hide it. So come on side of the porch. Hey, thank you for that. Blocking, blocking, Right? We get it. It's chaos in there. You know how I know it? It's chaos in mine too. It's exhausting to try to keep the world at a distance from keeping people from bumping you to exposing what's actually in your heart. It's rightfully scary. What are people going to do when they see your sin? Look, we know what the culture is going to do. They're going to condemn you. They're, they are bringing stuff up from like six people when they're like 16 and they tweeted something and they're canceling it over and they're like 30 now. It's like, what? Why? There is no redemption out there. There is no savior out there. There is no absorption of sin and making of righteousness out there. There is in here though. What will people do when your dirty water gets spilled over on them and they find out, oh, he's got an anger problem. Oh, she's really insecure. Oh, she, what's gonna happen when that happens to you? Will they cut you off? Will they tell others? Will they pull away? Will they look down on you? Out there, they will. In here, we have a gospel for that. This is where the gospel goes deep and creates a totally unique type of community. We, we say it a lot around here. The more you understand the gospel, the more you will realize this is true. Listen, cheer up. You're worse than you think. 
but you're more loved than you can even imagine. Here, cheer up. You're worse than you think, but you're more loved than you could ever imagine. When the, that truth gets accepted into your mind, it settles down into your heart. That's where real heart change begins to take place, where the truths of adoption gets pressed down into the corners of our heart, that I am still a sinner, and yet I have nothing to fear because I'm adopted. I'm in the family of God. He's at work on me now. He's even doing a water transplant on me now. It's almost like every time that dirty water gets spilled out, he's dropping in a few more clean drops. My heart is dark, it's sinful, and yet I'm adopted. And Jesus, at, right now, through the church and through the gospel, is both exposing my heart, exposing it to myself, exposing it to my brothers and sisters, exposing it to the air and the sunlight that it needs, and also cleansing my heart at the same time. That's what the church does. The church bumps us, and cleanses. It exposes the filthiness of our heart and it reminds us of our total and absolute acceptance in Christ. It dishevels us and spills our dirty water so that others can see, but then it offers us grace and that begins a deep cleansing process. To be exposed and, oh, they just saw my sin and yet they welcome me and yet they give me grace. And yet they come near to me. They don't push away. That does something to our soul. It, it heals our soul in relationships. As we live in a gospel-centered community like that over our lifetime, we slowly realize that God has been at work cleaning us up and making us new the whole time, that he's in heaven right now making all things new, even us. And he does that through our relationship with the church. It doesn't happen right away but God is in the renewing business. And that's why we're here this morning. That's why we welcome you and we invite you in. Join us on mission. Join us as a church. Now, you heard the gospel this morning, the historical reality of who Jesus was and what he did. And I ask that if you've never placed your faith in him, that you would, you would think about that. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not saying that this is a one-time thing. I'm not saying that... I, you know, gave a perfect argument and put everything together and it's undeniable. It's a hard thing to believe. It's a hard thing to believe. The gospel sounds like foolishness the first few times you hear it, but it's true. And so if, if the Lord is working in your heart, if the spirit is moving you, I would encourage you to place your faith in the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And as we come to the Lord's table, as Christians come to the Lord's table, if you're not a Christian, don't come to the table. Take Christ by faith. Don't take the elements of bread and wine this morning. But if you are a Christian, we come to the Lord's table and we reenact and celebrate the gospel itself. We celebrate that Jesus was put forth as our sacrifice in our place. That Jesus, his body was broken. And he says, take and eat the bread because it's my body that was broken for you and take and drink the cup because it's the cup of the new covenant, the covenant of grace, that we're not judged by what's inside of us any longer. We're judged by what's inside of Christ, his righteousness put on us. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for the beauty of the gospel. We thank you for its truth, its power, its identity-shaping reality. And I pray that through your spirit, 
you would do that in the lives of your people even now. That the deaf would hear your voice. That the spiritually dead would be made alive. That you would do good work for your glory and our joy this morning. And as we come to the table, we come once again with nothing but our sin. And, you, and we come to you for bread, for life, for the water of life. We, you have everything we need, so we come with open hands to receive it from you. I thank you for the work that you've done this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.